Hi, I'm Jeff Dewing, host of Doing the Opposite, Business Disruptors. And I'm really excited to tell you that a brand new season, yes, season three, is on the way very soon. And we've got a few surprises up our sleeves for you too. Until then, I wanted to share some of my favourite episodes from past seasons just to whet your appetite. I really enjoyed talking to Diana Morata Feliciano, who is a good friend of mine for a number of years. Because again, she took on the establishment, she took on the norm, and she launched Deliveroo throughout the whole of Spain when all of her critics were saying it will never work, it will never happen. She faced adversity. She knew the demand was there. She knew the population wanted this new methodology of receiving food and takeaway in a more convenient way than having to go to a restaurant or go through a drive through And despite the challenges that she faced, both professionally and personally, in this journey, she never gave up. Incredible resilience and passion to solve a problem, a problem that society didn't even know that it had. And she also wasn't frightened of getting her hands dirty, understanding what it was really like on the front line, by even doing some deliveries herself, to truly understand the challenges that were faced during this incredible revolution. Hello and welcome to Doing the Opposite of Business Disruptors. I'm really excited today um, to welcome my guest, who's somebody I've known for six or seven months. We've worked together on occasions in the Lisbon area in Portugal, and uh, her name is Diana. And Diana is probably best known in Spain as being recognised as one of the most influential businesswomen in that country. And she's received numerous awards for her professional career. But most notably, um, probably known for the rollout of Deliveroo across 30 Spanish cities. Hello, Diana. Hi, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. And it's been fantastic to have you with me today. Thanks for having me. So, Diana, you know the um, purpose of the podcast. It's really to try and dive deep into people's experiences and uh, golden nuggets and wisdoms of their career and their life. So, what would be lovely is if you can perhaps sort of set the scene and take us through a bit of journey on where you have done the opposite, been disruptive, or changed the game. Okay, well, you know, being disruptive, I've kind of I've been on the news a lot for being disruptive over the past years because I tend to have this tendency to get into, you know, to create or to get into startups that are seen as very disruptive in the industry, wherein, you know, what we're trying to do is to help people and to change sectors for the better. Um, and they have been transformational. So, you know, Deliveroo was one of those examples, um, but there have been others. So before Deliveroo, there was Zipcar. I don't know if you guys still remember this, but when everybody was, you know, buying cars, and especially Spain, which is a country which is quite traditional, like everybody wants to own something. And if you don't own something, it looks like, you know, you have, you're not accomplished. Yeah, I was the first to set up Zipcar in Spain, which was the first example of collaborative uh, shared cars um, and before that fun which was shared economy even before there was a word for share economy um, so so yeah over the past 12 years I've been disrupting quite a lot but I guess I'd like to give you a little bit more of the, the part that people don't really know which is you know how did it get to all this and um, 
you know, people, when they talk to me, they tend to think, oh, you, you know, probably studied, you know, whatever, accounting or management or is an engineer. Uh, actually, no. <laughs> so I studied law and international relations. So very, very opposite to where I ended up. Um, you know, I, I actually studied in a very prestigious university in Spain. I was an honor student, you know, one of the top law faculties. Um, and kind of like what everybody expected, like my family, my friends, you know, most of my classmates, um, they all expected that I would then move on to working in a prestigious law firm or becoming a civil servant diplomat or something. Um, and, but it isn't my, it wasn't my calling, right? I, at that time, I thought, you know, life then changes but at that time I thought okay I want to be a strategy consultant and this might not sound strange to you or to you know English um, speakers that we have listening to the podcast but in Spain you can only become or at least at that time you could only become a strategy consultant if you had been and had studied engineering or if you were really weird maybe you could have studied economics or business but definitely not law so you know, being such an honor student, whatever, I, I went to all these big um, consulting firms in Spain and they all looked at me and said, you know, why do you want to do this? Like, you know, you don't tick any of the boxes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I was really into it. Like, I really, really wanted mm. to do this. And um, and so I said, OK, so if you if, if none of the, you know, if none of the consulting um, companies will want me in Spain, where could I go, you know, where they would want me? And luckily, you know, luckily I found out that in the UK, it was actually good to be, you know, not just, uh, you know, the consulting companies were looking for people that were not just engineers and not just uh, mathematicians or physicians. Um, they were looking for diverse people. So they wanted to build diverse teams. And, um, you know, and I got into LEK, which is, you know, a, a very good firm there. And, and that's how it all started. So I guess that was, you know, probably the first big instance of doing something radically different. Wow, so the UK showing absolute diversity and welcoming the, those different approaches, so great. Yeah, and then and now, like, yeah. uh, whatever, like 15, 20 years later in Spain, it seems like they're actually looking for people like that. And it was funny, but three years after I joined, you know, LEK in, in the UK, um, I was then looking to go back to Spain. And I was contacted by, you know, three of the strategy consulting firms that three years earlier had said, you know, you don't take any of the boxes. Wow. So you have to remove your emotion and not stick two fingers up and start talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of shows, you know. It does. So so you've obviously had an incredible, I mean, I've obviously spoken to you at, at length about stuff, but I guess what I'm trying to draw on is is those real challenges that you face when you're going through the adversity of trying to be disruptive, not for the sake of it. You're being disruptive because you want to in, in, improve people's lives. That's why we do what we do, right? Um, so when you look at the Deliveroo story, I mean, Deliveroo obviously has just become this huge um, facility service benefit that is almost like people now are in the position where, where it be Deliveroo, Just Eat, they, they, the people out there just feel they can't live without it. So it's become a real part of their lives. But of course, being that disruptive brings its consequences, right? So here you are um, taking on this huge project of how do I get uh, a culture to adjust, change, transition to you know, taking food in a completely different way than just putting it into a car park, walking in a restaurant and eating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the background to that is, I, I think I, know, I haven't told you this, but when when I, so I was the, I would I, you could say founder of Deliveroo in Spain. So I was hired to set up Deliveroo in Spain. So, you know, one of the early employees in the company at a global level. 
Um, and you know, when I accepted the job and and started to do this in Spain, I had a my son who's now seven years old at that time was just a few months old, right? So, um, so it was about starting something from scratch uh, with a right. an infant. <laughs> um, yeah. And as you said, they're not doing things easy, do you? Um, well, no. The thing is that you know it was the moment. Like sometimes, and sometimes mm. you have the opportunity to do something, and you have to make the decision in that time. And things are never, you know, crystal clear and and and, and you know, and and absolutely great. You you always have to. There are good bits and bad bits when you need to decide. Mm, so in the delivery case, um, you know, I can I could I distinctly remember people telling me. Do you really think people are going to order food delivery in Spain? But we have all these amazing restaurants. Why would anybody want to eat at home? <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, and a couple of years later, we were you know one of the best known brands in Spain, and <laughs> and we're serving you know hundreds of thousands of people. So unbelievable! You do need to believe that it is possible, right? And for me, it was uh, luckily uh, France as a country lo- launched about six six eight months before we launched in Spain. And I could see that the uptake in France was 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 quite good. And I said, well, you know, if the, obviously the French are well known for good food, so if the French are ordering delivery, why wouldn't we in Spain? And the issue, the reason why Spanish people were not ordering delivery when we started doing it at Deliveroo was because companies until then were really only bringing them really shitty food from shitty restaurants. So that's why our strategy was okay. Let's only work with the best restaurants in the neighborhoods. Right. And that's how we did it. Mm. But that, I mean, when I look back on it, and obviously knowing from my own experience and, and doing what I do, to mobilize not only um, a culture and a methodology and the technology, it's mobilizing those restaurants that, that are on the journey. When will it actually turn into revenue? Because that's what they care about, right? So, and then how do I get the people to be reliable that are going to collect and deliver and all that sort of stuff? I mean, that, that, it's not coming from every angle. Yes, that, that's what highly operational businesses have, right? And that's the fun in it as well. Um, I think what was really important was, you know, getting um, the right team together of people. So if I look back on, and these are people, you know, you're going to laugh, but uh, you know, the first um, managers, I hired them in a bar in Spain, okay? So because we didn't even have an office at the time. we, we were, I was trying to do a lot of things at the same time. So we're looking for an office, um, but we had a hard date in which we said, okay, one month from now, we're going to launch whatever it takes. So I had to hire people in, you know, in restaurants and <laughs> we didn't have an office. But this first group of early employees, whatever, um, were just extremely good and extremely committed and um and of course like you know, as our manager as our leader i had i was super committed as well so it's about you know choosing the right people but then also leading by example and um and you know and we would being willing to do whatever it takes to get things done right so we would go to restaurants in the middle of the night and help them out if they had a problem the first few ones with a tablet because things that now seem trivial we're not at that time of course yeah um, yeah doing deliveries ourselves like i did deliveries on my car with my baby at the back right wow, wow. <laughs> and at some that's point somebody tipped commitment. me and i was yeah. super and I, you know i was i was i was super proud i got a tip <laughs> <laughs> and the whole at that time we were like there were quite a few people already in the office and everybody was just laughing but that also shows the importance i mean my background is an engineer and of course that you know stands me in good stead when i'm working in this industry because i understand it. i've been there done it i felt it and touched it so yeah, when you're a, a leader and a driver of an organization, you know, even a startup, 
to demonstrate you're prepared to do what everybody else does, you know, is one of the first stages of leadership, right? There is, there's nothing you would ask somebody else to do you're not prepared to do yourself. And, um, and that, that stands in good stead. So if you had to reflect on that delivery journey, what would you say was the most challenging element of that project? It was dealing with the media and the public backlash because, you know, I was convinced and as a company, we were convinced that and we're still convinced that, you know, that we were doing the right thing. At the end of the day, we were helping small business, helping small restaurants thrive. And you could see it now with the pandemic, right? These restaurants uh, for, for a few months, like the only income stream they had was to food delivery. So we were, you know, clearly helping from our, from my perspective, we we're helping businesses, helping restaurants, helping you know, busy people uh, get access to good, healthy food options um, and helping also writers be able to make a living for themselves in, in, in a lot of, you know, in a lot of cases, people who could normally, who would have very difficult, lots of difficulties in finding other types of jobs. Um, but it is true that the model was, um, and, and, and I don't know, maybe in the UK, it's, it, it's, it's not as disruptive, but in, in Spain, which is a very, kind of has this socialist kind of, um, you know, history to it. In Spain, you know, working with the writers that are not employees was seen as something terrible uh, or, or was portrayed as something terrible by the media, by unions, etc. And that was very tough, right? It was very tough to be giving, you know, 100% of your time and your effort, um, you know, with, with huge teams of people that were doing the same. But then being on TV and on the newspapers, um, you know, at some point it was, you know, me being compared to Trump, right? <laughs> so, um, oh, and that really? is not fun. Wow. So so that's the bit that was not fun. No. But on the other hand, yeah, um, no, it right. had to be done. So it's, you know, if you, you can't always cherry pick and just take the good parts of a job, right? It has the good and the bad. Of course. And, and I guess when you talk about those challenges, that, that as, a, as an individual, as a, a businesswoman, as a leader, Facing those challenges is where resilience is built, right? For the for the future, you you realise that there are some real challenging stuff you got to deal with out there, and if you go through some of those heavy challenges and come out the other side, it, it only builds resilience. It does. It builds resilience. It shows you. Um, it it really it it shows you. It also shows you. You know what people you can count on, um, and kind of separate. You know, real friends from you know just people you know. Um, oh, it's there's a lot of very good learnings to it. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, should not shy away from it. So, tell me about what you've uh, and through that process where you've done the things you've done. You've uh, you've now moved into some other areas. One of which is um, another startup and uh, a potential unicorn in in Sensei and autonomous shopping. Um, yes. Well, the thing here is that, and that's where maybe again doing things differently. Um, people tend to. You know, if you're lucky enough to have been part of, you know, such as an amazing success story, such as Deliveroo, um, you know, people tend to, you know, retire or, you know, or take, make a good life for themselves. Um, in my case, you know, since then, I've I built another startup, which was uh, Cirque, which was acquired by Birds so in scooter sharing. And now I've decided to join, you know, an amazing team at Sensei who are building autonomous stores. So stores in which you can go in, pick up stuff and leave without having to stop and pay. So it's again, it's the opposite, right? Instead of going on to something saying, okay, I've had this really, you know, tough, whatever, um, you know, let, let's go to the beach and relax somewhere. 
It's about, no, like, let's do it again. That's the thing, like, you know, right? and, and that's what I want to do. I want to do it again. And, of course, we uh, had a bit of fun, didn't we, in uh, Lisbon a few weeks ago when um, you took me into one of the stores and I spent an hour trying to steal something and was very, very unsuccessful. <laughs> well, that's a funny thing people always ask, right? As they ask, okay, so how, mm. how can you steal it in an autonomous store? It's like, mm. you can't. Mm. <laughs> you always get no. charged for it. <laughs> but, yes, but it was, it was, it was fun. <laughs> glad you but that's a massive culture change when you talk about disruption and delivering food to a country that's been used to having great restaurants and great um, and great food all the time and especially obviously my favorite which is tapas but um, and then going into a shop where we've been queuing for a hundred years right and then suddenly we bring in this entire culture change and i'll never forget when um, we obviously got involved in some stuff um, uh, a couple of years ago when amazon fresh obviously started the, the journey in the uk um where you go in and you grab a sandwich or you grab a roll and you walk out and you haven't paid. It's almost like you think, I've got to look over my shoulder, I'm about to run in case someone chases me. It just doesn't feel normal until you make it feel normal, right? So, and it becomes a big challenge to get early adopters. Finding early adopters is a lot is a lot more difficult than people think and, and it's challenging. And I think what I find interesting about your story is your passion to say that, yes, autonomous stores are the way forward, but you still have to uh, accommodate those people that will be much slower to that change or may never change. They need to have the choice. Yeah, I think it's like in general, like it, for me throughout my life, choice has been important. And I do think that for most people, it's really important to have that choice. And that's why in Sensei, when we build these autonomous stores and for people that might not know autonomous stores, to be able to enter an autonomous store, a fully autonomous store, you have to either swipe a credit card or swipe a, um, you know, or, or, or tap your phone uh, with an app. And so there are, of course, people um, who, you know, who might be older or who might not want to or don't feel comfortable or might not have a credit card or, or a mobile phone with them at that moment. Right. And so generally um, in autonomous stores, those people would not be able to enter. They would not be able to shop. And what we've done differently here is that what we've said, OK, we're going to do it. What we're going to do is we're going to allow everybody to go in. And then people can decide whether they want to pay in cash and card, you know, stand in line if they want to, you know, if they decide they want to queue. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine too. Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to give people options that they can, you know, those who just want to, you know, pop in and pop out of the store. And I think I gave you an example the other day. Of, we detected a, a person who went into a supermarket, one of our supermarkets, in and out, grabbed a beer in less than 12 seconds. And, you know, mm. paid for it. <laughs> and drunk it in seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that, that bit we don't know. But um, at the end of the day, it's mm. about creating, um, you know, giving people, I think that's important, that technology should give us choice and not restrict mm. choice from us. And yeah, that's something that's right. that yeah. I've been working on for years now. It's about giving the people, giving freedom, the freedom to choose. Of course, and never feeling constrained, yeah, and of course. Yeah, and I think that's also something that you mentioned quite a lot in, you know, in, in your book, right, the freedom to choose. Absolutely, it's one of our values is freedom. And the freedom, yeah, freedom, freedom to choose, the freedom to get it wrong, the freedom to try new things and, and so on. But, Dinah, going back over your career and your experience and your life, if you could only name one thing, what are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for my parents, for my family, for all these people. I'm grateful for the people that have and continue to, you know, to to the journey with me. I've been incredibly, um, you know, I've been incredibly lucky and to you know have the family that I've had. Parents are super understanding. Parents who, you know, have always encouraged me to you know to follow my dreams. 
and and my husband uh, my husband's the same you know he's been incredibly supportive we don't really have if you think about it we we don't have a very normal uh, or standard relationship in the sense that you know he works i work but my job is um you know probably much more demanding than his and and it works out and and i know that i've got somebody there who's who's got my back um so people so i'm grateful for for my rocks and for my friends great answer and then one final question if you again reflecting on your career your life um the golden nuggets you picked up along the way if there was one message and you could only have one if there was one message to give this audience what would that one message be i guess um so i had a uh, again one of my one of these people that have been my rocks um was you know my mentor one of my my first one of my first bosses, really. He was a he was he was British. Chris Donnelly. Um, he was like an amazing. He is an amazing person. Special. He's been special advisor to four NATO secretary generals. Like an absolute. He, he's a star. And um, and one of the advices um, that he gave me, and you know, people laugh when I tell them about this, is. Uh, we were discussing, you know, what to do when you face a really difficult decision. And you know, we were talking about, you know, what do you do? You reflect on it. You list out the pros, your cons. Um, you know, so we were going through all of this. And then and then I asked him, so Chris, like, what would you, you know, what, what would you do? You, what would you do? And he says, look, when I have a difficult decision, I do everything you said. So I reflect on it. I list out the pros, the cons. But then what I do is that I flip a coin. And I said, what do you mean you flip a coin? <laughs> He says, yes. So after you've done all of that work of reflecting and listing your pros and cons, ask yourself a question and say, you know, you know, heads is A, tails is B, and flip the coin. And what is important is not the outcome, whether it's going to be heads or tails, but it's about what's important is how you feel when you flip the coin and you see the outcome. So if when you look at the coin that's fallen, you say, oh, actually, let's flip it again, then you already know that that was not the right decision so it's actually really easy right? it's um it, it's about you know really committing and re- making sure that your decision is really what you truly believe in mm. that struck a nerve with me actually because when you think about the neocortex of your brain which is all about logic and you know language and one plus one equals and all the logical stuff and then you look at your limbic brains which is about how you feel the tossing of the coin is is drawing out your emotion. It's drawing out how you actually feel about the situation. I think that's great. That explains why you're always flicking coins when I see you. Um. <laughs> but you see, the thing there is that, um, you know, we we talk about our purpose and we talk about the importance of, uh, you know, of deciding what we want and all that. But there, if you think about, from my view, like what is it that then comes to whether you're going to be a success at something, whether you're going to be successful at something. It is whether you're prepared to do what it takes, right? To go through the ups, to go through the downs, to fail, to stand up and to fail again and to learn from it. But if you think about it, you're only going to be prepared to do that if you are 100% sure and committed to the decision. Mm. So making sure that, you know, that your emotions Mm. um, Mm. and not just your brain are making the decision is pretty important oh i'm absolutely i'm absolutely with you yeah i'm i'm, I'm you're preaching converted I, I absolutely agree with that 100 anyway listen diana it's been absolutely fantastic catching up with you today um it's uh we we obviously met up a couple of weeks ago we'll be meeting up again in a couple of weeks time so uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us it's been an absolute pleasure 
and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks a lot for having me, Jeff. Thank you.